Previously on the Jay and Dan podcast. So I listen to like ones about murders and cults and it's all very depressing. I'm like, give me some BPM music. Are you okay? <laughs> if you were in Amsterdam for six weeks that I know for me, probably a 78% chance that I'm dying there. I may die in Orno any day. <laughs> He'll go on like four dates with someone and then guess what, guys? I discovered she was a dog. <laughs> And then I discovered <laughs> I'm into dogs. <laughs> that dog and I are now married. Dan, Dan, the dirty old man, washed his face in the frying pan. What is that from? <laughs> they said, what room are you in? And I said, um, 518. They said, yeah, that person's checked out. I'm like, that's me. I'm not checked out. <laughs> but they thought you had checked out. Yes. Well, why did they think that? Because it was past noon. But I'm like, I'll get a spice rum. I'm like, do you have Sailor Jerry? He goes, no. The only Sailor Jerry here is me. I'm like, well, he goes, yeah. I served in the Navy. My name's Jerry. And he had a tattoo of a boat on his arm. turn around and run <laughs> out of there instantly. I would not engage with that guy. <laughs> nah, he was for good. For a second. <laughs> I'm Tom Strangewood. <laughs> You're listening to the Jay and Dan Podcast. All other podcasts are about murders and cults, except this one. It's family day, but it's not family day everywhere. It's the most confusing holiday of all the holidays. It's a it's a a reason to have a day off in February. That's why they created it. I love it. But it's not the same everywhere. Especially if you work for Bell Media, you're not getting the day off. <laughs> well everyone here is working. Well, like is everyone during the day working? Stoff, you work during the day. Yeah, I believe everyone's here. Jordan. Everyone's yep. here. Yep. And so Bell Media is based out of Quebec. They don't celebrate Family Day in Quebec. No, the French do not like families. So unfortunately for us, that means uh, no taking Family Day off. <laughs> well, I think it's common knowledge. We don't get any day. No holidays off. No, we get nothing. You always tell this to aspiring broadcasters. When other people are out having fun and going for dinners and stuff, yeah. you'll be working. Yeah, you'll work when everyone else is off. That's what someone told me in the very beginning of my career. Never forget it. Surprised I didn't immediately <laughs> go into some other profession. Yeah, you could have been a pharmacist. Could have been a pharmacist. Uh, could have uh, just waltzed right into a, a very successful uh, small-town pharmacy and then maybe purchased other pharmacies, created my own mini chain of pharmacies, and eventually purchased the Edmonton Oilers from Daryl Cates and uh, put in my own GM, of course, Peter Shirelli. He would have been my Why choice. Not, eh? That would have been my choice. But I have a vision of you as a pharmacist, so someone would come to the counter like, uh, can I talk to the pharmacist? And they'd be like, is... And I'd be like, that's me! What's <laughs> no, wrong? No, you'd be slouched in a chair behind the counter, passed out. Yeah, because I'd be abusing all the <laughs> all the medication behind the camera. Why? Who needs help? You want some oxy? It has changed my life. I've got it here for you. Yeah, I I I didn't want to do that, Mister Onright. Do you sleep here? It it, it seemed uh, boring. It seemed like a boring job. It's a lot. I, of, it's a lot of counting. Yeah, my dad always said, "All I do is count pills." He didn't. He didn't like being a pharmacist. He liked owning his own business. But he didn't like being a pharmacist. They have cool contraptions. I always like when they're counting them out back there. Oh, it's just a little plastic thing where you have it a is. lick. It's like a butter knife. Yeah. It used to separate them. And uh, it is weird, though. And people have brought this up to me before. Like, I'm not here to condone any drug usage of any kind. Uh, but it is weird that I didn't at least just wander back there a few times and just open up a few things and just see what worked for me. Because back in the day, they wouldn't have the same restrictions. You could have done that. Well, I, your, your I worked there my, like since I was 14. So there were many nights where I'd be sent down there to pick something up or sent, you know, for a delivery at a nursing home or something. And so I'd be alone in the store all the time. So I easily could have just gone to the back, cracked open a few things, grabbed a couple of pills from different bottles. I love this ass! <laughs> and just, you know, gone to town. 
Or at least just tried a few things. I was a little too uptight back then. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, if you're a kid with access to a pharmacy, give a few things a try. I worked the at more a convenience you know. store, and um, I had access to uh, to products, and I would uh, take cheese curds out of the cheese curd packages and put them back in the fridge. Okay, that's wrong. Well, that's, that's disgusting. Why not just take the whole package? Then the guy started following me around the store. Because <laughs> you were t- taking individual <laughs> cheese curds. You're just popping them in your mouth, eh? Yeah, I'd be back in the fridge, and well, I'm like, I'm hungry. You know what the problem was? He was squeaking while you were chewing them, right? And then that guy was like, wait a minute. Old Squeaks O'Toole here thinks he can pull a fast one on me. He, he was, can't. He was smart. He never uh, let me work the till. <laughs> yeah, I would <laughs> never let you work That was the job I've mentioned it before. Till. I went on a vacation with my family for a week, and I was supposed to work on the Monday. I didn't show up. He didn't call me, and we just uh, parted ways. I like that. That's a good way to end a, an employee-employer relationship <laughs> if it's not working out. You know one thing I also remember uh, working at the drugstore? We sold cartons and cartons of cigarettes at that store. Oh, that would have been the, the heyday. The- oh, man. We, we made a brisk, brisk business. Players, DeMaurier. DeMaurier dollar, dollar bills, y'all. Absolutely. We crushed it. And darts would have been cheap back then. Well, I guess relatively. I mean, at the time, they didn't seem cheap, but yeah. I never, I'm surprised they didn't get into smoking, too. Maybe I'll do all that late, later in life. Get addicted to pills, start smoking. Dude, Why not? Yeah, when you're in your 80s, yeah, you don't have much time left. How about next week? Nah. We Producer it. Tim can loan me some cigs. <laughs> like, no, I need all of these. I can't, I can't let loan you, sorry. I need these. Did you ever try smoking? No, not really. I did. Back in my rebellious days, I'd go to high school parties. I'm like, yeah, I'll have a dart. Men feed my mouth. How many... Cigarettes did you consume? Like, was there a time when you were like, sort of a like a no. social smoker, no, like no. a person who smokes at parties? No, it was like after I had like probably two beers, I'd be like, "Whoa, I'm yes. feeling loose." Sig time. And then once at home, I snuck a cigarette from my brother's package, and I went out to the field to smoke it. And I, I'm like, "Okay, I'm really gonna smoke this and inhale yeah. it." And uh, I threw threw up a lot, and that was the last time I did it. <laughs> The last time I ingested any tobacco, I remember it was rolled. My friend, she liked to roll joints with tobacco. Mm-hmm. Like she was a smoker, so she liked her joints to have a little bit of tobacco, a little bit of marijuana in it. This is like 20 years ago when we were in college. And uh, I remember I, like I literally never smoked a cigarette in my life. And I remember taking a hit of that joint and being like, Jesus, fuck, like the, the, so it feels like someone's sticking needles in my lungs. <laughs> it has changed my life. Like it, it hits you kind of hard, you know? It's not smooth. It's not like smooth like you think in the Marlboro ads. No, it's not smooth at all. So we're here to tell you, don't smoke. Yeah, don't do it. It's not worth it. All those, all those anti-smoking ads when we were young really worked. Nancy Reagan. I, Punky Brewster. Throwing up was what did it to me. Yeah, vomiting. Yeah, I well, was isn't that how so uh, lightheaded? Oh, isn't that man, how the, remember the old school dads used to do it? Yeah, yeah, they'd catch you smoking, and then you'd lock you in a room, and you'd have to smoke smoke a whole carton or something. <laughs> like that's insane. When you think about it. I still see people driving on the highway, windows up, smoking. Yeah, yeah. that's not good. Uh, that's Tim, for sure, on his way home, stewing about something you said. Tim's gonna be so mad at you. Why? Because he's. Not going to like you talking about him smoking. Uh, that's true. Sorry, Tim. Secret's out. So, stop. You're a big dart guy. In post-production, um, change Tim's smoking darts to crack. And then change, change marijuana to heroin and change pills to ketamine. And that should, that should cover everything and keep us out of trouble. Perfect. <laughs> hey, you know what? Um, right now we've got curling on in the studio. Uh-huh. That is about the only winter sport I didn't partake in this past weekend. Went uh, skiing, skating, tobogganing. And you are jump, you're jumping on this ski train big time. Uh, I saw the hill you're skiing on, though. I showed you a video of the bunny hill with my daughter. Uh, 
It looked like uh, it looked like my driveway in <laughs> Athabasca. It was the I took the girls skiing for the first time. Disaster start. Both of them like, yeah, I got this. Go down to the bunny hill, and it was like watching Manny Osborne parodies crash. Like they're into the catch fence. Can you imagine like, if it actually was like that? Like they're just flipping and flopping, and you're like. When we got home, I showed them. I showed them like Olympic wipeouts. They're like, "Oh my!" Like that's how bad it can be. So look, you guys did great. Dial it back, kids. (laughs) Quit trying to be a daredevil like Dad on the first try. Yeah, you're really uh, you're a big winner. You like to get out and do stuff in the winter time. I like to stay in and do nothing. No, um, the kids sitting and watching their stupid YouTube videos. I'm like, get the hell outside right now. It's all about YouTube. Like this, uh, have we talked on the podcast about Blippy? I don't believe so, have we? So Blippy is like the number one kid's YouTube star. Mm -hmm. He just is a guy, about 30, wears like a funny beanie hat, suspenders, orange glasses. And he just goes to like children's museums and plays, or he goes to like a chocolate factory and learns how to make chocolate. And, you know, he's fine. And then last week, BuzzFeed classic BuzzFeed gotcha journalism found out that when he was in college he uh, may have shot a few videos where he projectile on his friend's chest just took a projectile on his friend's chest and and now I don't know who's interested in these videos or, or why they did it but uh, yeah so they're you know I don't know if the BuzzFeed journalist was like all right I've I'm taken down blippy so is blippy done no this is the thing all the all the Comments on the initial tweet from the BuzzFeed journalist were all from parents. And every single one was like, eh, who f- cares? Some tasty vegetables. Yeah. They were really healthy. But I'm really full now. And after you eat a nice, healthy meal, guess what you get to eat next? Dessert. Yeah, dessert. And today, we are at Bones Candy in Issaquah, Washington. This is a this good is one. This is going to be so tasty. Come on. Okay, so this is and, the thing. That's many, the whole. That's every video. How many? Four hundred million views or something oh like that. My. It's insane. Stop. How much is? The, how many does that one have there? Uh, I can't see it right now. It's telling me to go to YouTube Premium for some reason. Oh, oh yeah, it's high end. Why can't? Three point six million. Yeah, it's crazy. He makes an incredible living doing this. Wow. But uh, but the best part, yeah, the parents are just like, who cares if someone. Like, he's not, he didn't, he wasn't like a neo-Nazi. He's not doing hate crimes. He's just on his friend. Was, was the friend a willing participant? I don't know, probably. Probably. It was something they, they did for kicks. But all the parents are like, eh, don't care. He gives me 20 minutes peace a day. I don't give a shit. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. That shows you parents' priorities. Yeah, keep Blippi. those kids entertained. Leave Blippi alone. We went out to an amazing concert on Saturday, Dan. Okay, my so wife and I, my whole wife and I. I have a few things to ask about that, but, yeah. but go on. My wife. Go on. Well, yeah, it was uh, Arkells, who have been on our show. Max and Nick, I believe, have been on our show. Tim Oxford has also been yes. the drummer. Remember we gave away Tim's Hotmail address? Tim Oxford at Hotmail.com. <laughs> yes. He was crushing the skins. Uh, by the way, our guests today are Jeremy Taggart, speaking of great drummers. Jeremy is a very good friend of Tim's, and uh, Jeremy was also at the concert. Mm-hmm. And Bob McKenzie, who was also an Arkells fan and also at the concert. He went back-to-back nights. He, he, well, he was in Kitchener, and I, then I think they went to Ottawa on the Friday, and then he went to right. Saturday to Toronto. But yeah, he's a massive, massive fan. Uh, so they sold out. They sold out Air Canada. The former Air Canada. Oh yeah, Center. sorry, Scotiabank Arena. Scotiabank Place or Arena. They sold it right out, like whatever it is, eighteen thousand or whatever. And yeah, it was incredible. Like I, uh, I don't know all their tunes as well. What I discovered was again, my wife. She's like, my I w- wife. I want to go to the show. And Max, the lead singer, had already said, "You guys have to come to the show." So I was like, "Great, I take her out. I'm a big hero." She knows every one of their songs. She's a, a like a super fan of Arkells. So that means she wanted backstage. Oh yeah, big time. She had her eyes on uh, Tony, the keyboard player. He had, at one point he brought out a keytar. <laughs> it was great, like uh, Nick Rhodes from Duran Duran. 
So one of the questions I wanted to ask, I haven't been to a concert since weed was legal in Canada. Was there a lot of weed being smoked? Yeah, I definitely uh, could smell a ton of it in my section. Okay. Uh, but it was the, the vibe there, and I think Taggart will agree with this. Their music is very, uh, you can sing along to it. Like the choruses are very catchy and the whole crowd knew all the words and they were singing like along to every chorus. It was really a great atmosphere for a concert. And you could tell like everybody knew the old songs. Everybody knows the new songs. They've done it the right way because they've, they've been doing this for like a decade. And the local alternative station, 102.1 The Edge, really got on board with them early and, you know, pumped them up. And they've kind of step by step become. I think you'd have to call them the biggest band in the country. If now, they're selling you? out arenas, yeah, they're making bank now. Massive money. They sold out all these arenas across the country: uh, Rogers and Edmonton, Rogers and Vancouver, the Saddle Dome, all that stuff. So yeah, it was a great show. They were really, really good. But I saw Taggart before the show, and then didn't see him after the show. He went to the after party. We went to, well. Bar Isabel. We, we you went hungry. to dinner, late we night hungry. eats. We were hungry. That's that's we were just hungry. Yeah. You weren't tempted by uh, some street meat. No, no. Those days are are over for me. Street meat in mm. Toronto, Phil Kessel styles. <laughs> Do you think Phil ever really did eat hot dogs on the street? Where is the money? and definitely did. Uh, I had a hot dog outside a Canadian Tire uh, last week. Delicious. <laughs> Actually, I had a sausage. Come on, it'll be fun. <laughs> and I must have looked like I hadn't eaten in my life. I was walking through the uh, the hallways of uh, Canadian Tire with mustard all over my face, looking for a ski helmet. And the guy's like, can I help you? And I'm like... <laughs> Look away. And I contemplated getting another one on the way out. <laughs> what is, wow, what are you... Yeah, are you okay? Ben, Ben, the dirty old man. <laughs> are you okay? Like, uh, who opened for the Arkells? It was a band called Lord Huron, like a, a American band. They're good. Yeah, alternative group. But Max, that's the other thing. Like Max was very um, like Bono. He had like a long runway type stage in front of the stage, you know, where he would went out and would talk to the crowd and. Yeah, he was, a, he was a really charismatic front man. What did they talk about? He talked about, uh, they did a, a really cool fundraiser. Like uh, you, if you had uh, used uh, coats, winter coats, boots, that kind of stuff. They wanted to get a bunch of that stuff, so they did a great fundraiser for that. They went into the crowd and sang uh, Happy Birthday to a young girl, which was really cool. Hmm. Um, yeah, and he just, I think, it must have been overwhelming from, for him because he's a Toronto born and raised guy, you know? So just think of that, you know, like you're... He went to Harvard Collegiate, downtown Toronto, and then he's playing Scotiabank Arena. He's the headliner. Like, it's pretty amazing he, to think about. Did he say it's good to be home? Oh, yeah. Lots of times. And, like, and then he'd make like references. He'd be like, let's make this feel like Sneaky D's on a Wednesday. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. Sounds all right. Sneaky D's still open? Oh, yeah. Big time. That's a, uh, a club in Toronto that you go to see bands? Yeah, bands play there. It's like... Or you go there for late night nachos. Like they're open late and they make good nachos. And so if you've been out drinking, it's a great place to go after. They, the nickname is Sneaky Disease. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, you know, they probably have had some issues with, <laughs> I don't know what. I just always know it's been called Sneaky Disease. But I would highly recommend it right at the co- corner of College and Bathurst. And then he referenced another one. I can't remember what, what it was. Uh, whenever I. He- when I think of bands talking to the crowd, I think of Nickelback, and I saw them in Vancouver. I've been all around the world, and still the best weed I've ever had yes. is right here. Yeah, Poison did that in 87 when I saw him at Northlands Coliseum. Brett Michaels cracked open a Molson Canadian was like, Canada makes the best beer in the world man and we're all like yeah! <laughs> he's Brett, drinking wildcat you're amazing triple x <laughs> remember we saw brett michaels didn't we at no the NASCAR we, saw, we saw vince neal oh i always confuse all those guys <laughs> kind of the same thing <laughs> he was well he was drinking <laughs> pinot grigio 
So he was at that stage of his rock star life. He'd done all the drugs. There was still like two hours left to go, and we were done, and yeah. he's coming out a side door. Yeah, he was <laughs> uh, He was crushing some Pinot Grigias at the Wynn Hotel Bar. Yeah, that's how you do it. Yeah, you're a rock star. That, yeah. You're allowed to do whatever you want. I was listening to those guys actually last week. They came on Sirius. They were great. Nikki Six could write a hell of a tune. Taggart probably hates them. <laughs> if I know Taggart, he doesn't like that. But uh, he is on the line now, Jeremy Taggart. Well, let's ask him if he hates them. Are you Taggart? Do you despise Motley Crue? Like, or or can you can you get behind them in an ironic way, or do you just do you just like them from your youth? What's there's got to be like one answer there. Well, I, I was never I never was a fan. I was I, you know they were. Uh, on the cusp, like of the glamour stuff, you know, like the oh, they were the, they were the core of it. Yeah, yeah. Like to me, like Van Halen, I can handle, but like Motley Crue is over the edge for the yeah, you know, just for the Van Halen was like late seventies, so they <laughs> kind of predated the super hair well, yeah, metal they era. Were more, and but I, I'll give like Motley Crue, they were good, like they're a good band, they're good players and stuff, but just it wasn't my bag, that's for sure. Just a little bit, and the whole like party girl stuff like oh they were a little played out they were did you read that you gotta read that book of theirs the dirt well that they have that movie coming out yeah about that right is yeah. it coming out on netflix or something yeah yeah oh that'll be interesting i saw motley crew um for free in vegas and after three songs in i'm like i think they're playing the same songs over and over <laughs> yeah and vince neal's awful he can't sing at all we were just talking about him. We saw him uh, crushing Pinot Grigis <laughs> at yeah, the Wynn Hotel Bar. <laughs> well, I, I remember the story. My favorite story was Bob Rock was doing the Dr. Feelgood album with them, which is a great album. Yeah, it sounds amazing. It yeah, does. It, yeah. It, he, they were, like, uh, sober during that album. And one night at dinner, they're like, okay, they finished the record. Let's just have one glass of wine. Okay, one, <laughs> just one glass. <laughs> So they have like one glass of wine, and within like two hours, Nikki Six is on like his phone trying to get heroin to his dealer, <laughs> and like three, like the three of them are gone for like three days, like right off the deep end, <laughs> just waiting for an excuse to do it, yeah. just to floor it. <laughs> yeah. Florence. <laughs> and another time when they were, they were sober, Tommy Lee went to a strip club with Bob, and Bob wasn't drinking at the same at the time. At the same time, so they they tried to get drunk on near beers. Oh no! <laughs> so he had like thirty near beer, and he was like, "Oh, rockhead, my stomach's killing me, man! I'm not feeling this. All. Let's get out of here." <laughs> 30 O'Doul's later. There's a there's an actual commercial out right now. I think it's for Heineken non-alcoholic oh, beer. Yeah. And the guy gets pulled over by a cop. Yeah. And they're like, well, I'm okay because I'm drinking a non... Who's driving around drinking a near beer <laughs> in their car? A war, especially a war. Like, let me tell you, if you're having a near beer, it's got to be ice cold. Yeah. Some sitting in the sun. He's just got him in his glove compartment. <laughs> hey, uh, how was the uh, Arkells concert? Fantastic. Yeah, me and Jay were there. It was a great show, man. Hey, Jay? Oh, it was awesome. Yeah, like, they were they were really tight. Like you, I always think of you watching these bands, Jeremy. Like, you must... I don't know. Do you can you get lost in the music, or are you just analyzing the players themselves and how well they're playing? Well, yeah. For for me, it's it's different with them because I've saw them from their inception. You know, I'm knowing Tim, the drummer, since he was 15. There's a huge history with those guys. So just to see them doing so well and filling a place like you know Scotiabank Arena is ridiculous. You know, and across the country selling out arenas that, that that's not uh, like that's not normal for for Canadian bands to get to that level. So they're kind of, you know, they're on that, uh, that, that level that, that just kind of transcends most bands. Well, they're the, the they were at the level that you guys were at and you said to me yeah. that they connect differently. Can you explain that? They connect a little differently with the audience there. For, well, in your yeah, opinion. Well, it's, it's like, you know, that 
there, there's an element that, that with their music that it's very, it's it's commercial enough to appeal to younger people more than like the hip or even OLP did. There, there's an element of their music that there's a pop yes element that brings them to like kind of another level, which is it, it's great because it really gives them their own thing, you know, and that it, they they definitely have that. So it's it's just uh, it's I can't imagine how. Uh, you know, difficult it was for them just to kind of get to that level other than just the fact, you know, they did work their asses off. Like when I was producing their demos early in the day and they were, were playing to nobody and at the Casbah in Hamilton, but they, they, you know, were rehearsing six days a week at that point, you know, so they, they, they deserve it, but they really did work. They, 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 they do so much extra stuff like all the PR press stuff going after shows to play at people's houses and doing great charity work it's just awesome it must really be great. it must be a real leap of faith when you do an arena tour because there's no turning back so yeah. you have to have that much confidence in yourself that yeah we can sell at this arena yeah and it's a big show too like the production like the pyrotechnics and the, you know the bombs with the confetti like yeah. just they went all out and people that went to that show probably felt like they got their money's worth plus you know and i I, you know i kept thinking like they played a lot of songs like i kept thinking okay they played ottawa the night before they played kitchener the night before like like just max alone singing like you must not talk to anyone after because you just got to save your voice most yeah i don't know yeah i mean he's always been good with that too i think they're just smart you know those guys they they uh they know how to do it kudos it's one of those rare situations to be able to say you're a Canadian band playing in arenas. So, Jeremy, you must have, in your career, seen a band where they embark on an arena tour and they say, oh, we, uh, we overestimated our popularity. <laughs> oh. Well, I mean, I was on, the can- remember that band Candlebox? Mm. They, were, they were like grunge era 94 three they're huge in america they sold like five million records on that one album but anyway like they were big but they just got to arenas and we were opening for them it's like the first show was at like auburn hills at the palace right like packed and then like towards the end of the show the tour we were in clubs they wow. went from like arenas <laughs> wow theaters to clubs and like Two months. And, like, was it palpable? Like, was everyone talking about it, or was everyone like, don't talk about this? <laughs> well, it got to the point where, like, we're sitting in a club, and they got, like, road cases with their clothes, the dressing room clothes. You know what I mean? Like, you're playing Lee's Palace, and there's, like, road cases with, like, shirts in there. And sh- oh, my God. <laughs> you know, like, a, they had a the big... The road case that opens up and it's like a TV and the stereo and all that stuff, like Rolling Stones style backstage. <laughs> they've got they've got their life in there. Well, they were rolling with the big two eighteen wheelers at yeah. the beginning of the tour, and they still had all that stuff playing clubs. What's Candlebox's big hit? Stuff? Can you find it on YouTube? Yeah, you guys can dial it up there. Yeah, we can. Uh, look. I love. I'm sure that. if you just. Uh, Sure, if you just press Candlebox in there, they're still around. They're still Are they around. really? Yeah, but uh, still yeah, doing remember. their thing. They were kind of like the original Creed, if you will. Oh, okay, right? Like they kind of were like Pearl Jammy, but like yeah, but not good on the wave. <laughs> <laughs> you were, we were talking about Eddie Vedder a little bit. Like, man, that guy. I can't believe he's almost sixty. That's what blows my mind, man. Like the surfer dude. Yeah, he is. He's a surfer dude. That's He's a right. water baby. <laughs> <laughs> He's part of the, the Malibu yeah, like Mafia those, with Chelios. Those, those moms. Oh, he's a water baby. Loves the ocean. She's a water lily. <laughs> <laughs> Loves the ocean. Can't get him out of there. He gets the house. Any guys got a pool here? Right away. Like, can I go swimming? I just love the water. My name's Eddie Vetter. <laughs> I'm a water baby. <laughs> Does he live in Hawaii and Malibu? Malibu? He lives in the boo. Oh, I believe near, so. Yeah. Near, near Chelios. Yeah. Him and Chelly are big buddies. And yeah. Kid Rock, I believe, is uh, in their posse. I think. Yep. Think of that 
threesome out on the well, town. Chelios, I went to, to uh, Kid Rock's house with Chelios one, one time. And I got all banged up on moonshine. Oh, God. Oh, man. Oh, Don't man. remember leaving. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, Bobby, oh, Bobby Ritchie. Oh, my God. Bob. What, what's that guy up to now? Is he running for, uh, what is he going to run for MAGA, Senate? He's isn't he? He's all MAGA. Yeah. Oh, Hardcore yeah. MAGA. Yeah. Uh, uh, guess what, Tagger? What? Get ready here on Jane Dan Radio. It's Candlebox. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I know yeah, this song. This is the part of the concert where everyone would be like, yes, I know this one. How many people made love to this? <laughs> How many 90s babies were consumed? Dan was, Dan was kissing girls. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dan was behind, at, the, behind the tractor pole in, in Peterborough. Peterborough High, out, out by the portables. So many boyfriends. So many boyfriends gave this to girlfriends on mixtapes for sure. This was a mixtape staple. Tagger took it to a whole other level right there. I love it. He's singing along to the Beast Boys tribute act with his stinky fingers. And he's got his, an unlit cigarette in his mouth <laughs> because he's still deciding whether or not he may smoke or not. <laughs> I might act hard, so I'm not sure. Let's just. We were talking about cool. that earlier. We, neither of us really. Well, Dan did more than I did. Did you go through a smoking phase? No, never. Really? Never. Wow. No. No. Never had I had the urge to hack darts. Yeah. I grew up smelling darts all over, around the house. And right. Up. Right. Right. Yep. No, I get it. Who was the it. drummer that had one hanging out of his mouth? ACDC drummer? Well, I want every drummer from 1962 <laughs> to from Ringo to every... Hey, so I was hanging out with Gil Moore after the show for a bit. I love Gil from Triumph. He's always a good time. So you were, you had uh, mm-hmm. your, your lighting guy from the OLP days hanging out with you there. You were hanging out with uh, Bobby Mack. Oh, we were talking about Bobby, Bobby McKenzie, who's going to be on in just a few minutes here. He's a beauty, yeah. He loves our Kells. Yeah, he was telling me some funny stories about singers. They were laughing it up. <laughs> Tell Bob. It seems that Jeremy remembers that awesome story you told him about his about singers, Canadian singers. They were laughing. And uh, and Haji Hodge yeah, was Dave there. Hodge? Dave Hodge, Hodge yeah, yeah. He's been on the Arkells bandwagon, like you, like from the beginning. He's been a yeah, big well, supporter. He's, of them. A, he, he's like a he he like he probably knows every lyric of every song. No one loves music that I know more than Dave Hodge does. Like he just loves music so much. Why was I Dave Hodge should. a much music VJ? Yeah. Right, yeah, Rick the Temp. I think that would be well, would be funny. I'd like to hear him like getting hot about bands. Like I don't know about these. Oh, I got so much crap. That to me would be funny. That's yeah. a hot take. Well, remember, about, remember the Wedge Tagger, the Wedge. Yeah, of Strombo hosted Kim, it and Suk Kim Clark Champness. Yeah, KCC hosted it. It was a great show. <laughs> yeah, Hodge would have been was. great hosting that. Suk Yin, she hosted that yeah, for a bit. Yeah, Suk Yin hosted it for sure. Yeah, right. I, I think I think uh, was it was it Chris Ward who started it, or is that like pre the wedge? He had like city limits or something. Yeah. Remember that was his show, and and then yeah. and then I think it changed into the wedge. Into the wedge. Yeah, and the then no, they had that British guy. Remember that British guy. Yeah. Okay, we're going to have the wedge today. We're going to talk about the coolest, hippest band. <laughs> That's a pretty good accent. <laughs> We've got the verb coming up. <laughs> Richard Ashcroft, the f- <laughs> With a sweet symphony track, it's fab. <laughs> oh, the wedge. They should bring that back. Toolsy, we could host that. Well, Much yeah. Music it now shows The Simpsons. I was watching The Simpsons on Much the other day. That doesn't seem well, a tool we could do is like summertime playlist jams, like you know, like Eddie Money and you know all that stuff that you love. <laughs> a lot of Billy Joel in there. <laughs> Billy the Joel. wedge. It's his back-to-back tracks off uh, well, no. glass houses. Well, no, because you do the wedge with the hipster jams. Yeah, you could go from Father John Misty into into Queensrÿche. 
Dan's picks. <laughs> Silent lucidity. <laughs> Silent <laughs> Actually, no, I'll just put Candlebox on repeat. That's right. Yeah, that's right. You love it. You're watching the down. Candlebox channel. On <laughs> <laughs> No Surprises by Radiohead. Into Kryptonite by Three Doors Down. Hey, uh, Jeremy, I've got some great news for you. What? Um, so, every once in a while, Channel 30 on XM Radio they devote to an artist. It was Billy Joel, and then uh, last month it was Kiss. The Kiss is over. The Kiss run on Channel 30 on XM is over. I didn't Thank realize God. you hated Kiss so much. I had no idea. <laughs> they're the originators of just like, how much money can we make? Oh, you yeah. know what I mean? It's like, it's just, that's what drives the whole show. Yeah, we, yeah. we're going to sell out two original members of this band and not let them have any just, of the money. And just how greasy Gene Simmons has yeah. been so greasy, like oh, yeah. Trump style. But, you know, for a certain um, generation, like, obviously, if you were, you know, between 14 and 17 years old, between 1975 and 1978, and you're a guy. Oh, my cousins love them. Like, the you Hobbins. are, like, there's a lot of producers here, like, maybe just a few years older than us, who are just bananas for that band still. Like, so, like defend them to the death. I know, yeah, you say something bad about them, and they're like, who the yeah, well, that's why, that's my childhood. Ace Freely is my childhood. You don't get it, man. All serious. Yeah, exactly. That's no Pushing joke. Pushing against the wall. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Don't go. You want to go? <laughs> All right, buddy. We gotta go. Speaking of going, fights over kiss. That's <laughs> TSN in a guy. nutshell. The black guy. What happened? I was just said something about kiss to Gary. <laughs> Gary. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll see you, boys. Miss you, buddy. Talk to you Bye. soon. See you, Jeremy. See you soon. What that is a Canadian rock legend, Jeremy Dagger. Do we have our next guest on the line? Okay. All right. One, one second. All right. This is good. I love that we're going from that, that incredible interview with Jeremy to another incredible interview with one and only Bob McKenzie, Arkell's super fan. Bobby's got to start resting up. He's got, uh, oh, that's next Monday. That's Monday. That's this coming Monday. Oh, boy. And we, we, so we do a midnight show Sunday oh at boy. 9 Eastern. Oh, boy. Then we have to be on air at 8 a.m. the next day for Trade Center till 1 p.m., they wanted us to stay till three. Yeah, I wanted to leave at eleven. <laughs> no, but because I'm not even joking. Like by the time eleven rolls around, like things might actually be happening, and then they don't come to us. And they're like, "Well, we might. You never know." Bob, like, can we just go home at eleven on Monday? Sure. Good. Yeah, Perfect. why not? All right. So Bob said it, <laughs> so we get to go. Because everyone knows who really runs the show around here. But Bob, how was the Arkells show on Saturday? I, I thought it was fantastic. I was just talking to Jeremy Taggart here with Dan. He loved it. Yes, I was looking for you. I didn't see you there. It's, it's a, it, it, can I just tell a quick story? Max sure. shouted me out in the crowd. He just said, Jay! <laughs> because he said he texted me after he said, I just saw your tall ass to my left. <laughs> <laughs> so I just said your name. Um, yeah, it was a great show, and I, and I didn't realize my wife was such a super fan. She knows every every lyric, and I didn't know you were such a super fan. You've been to multiple shows this past week. Yeah, I went to two shows: Thursday in Kitchener, Saturday in Toronto. It's and but it, it's funny because I I'd never been to an Arkell show before, so you know I and you know I'm you know aware of their music for quite some time, but I think I really became a big fan after. Um, after the Morning Report album came out, it was uh, fantastic, and then obviously followed up with Rally Cry, so it's great. And to see a Canadian band selling out an arena tour. Yeah, you know what? And the whole, um, you know, the, the whole thing's interesting to me because, you know, I remember the first Tragically Hip show I went to. It was at the concert hall, uh, whatever they call it, the concert hall, Masonic Temple, right at Davenport and Young there. Um, and it was between the Up to Here album and the um, Road Apples. Uh, uh, Road Apples, and and it was like this sort of life changing experience for me because the, you know, the first time you see Gord Downey, and so I haven't really seen anything like that since then. But 
the thing that jumped out at me about Max and the Arkells is just he, he's got so much charisma and, and it's a really powerful show and really passionate and and you can see how they connect with the people and the crowd in Kitchener was you know 7,000 plus or whatever and they know everybody knows every word to every song same thing it's Scotiabank on Saturday it's incredible that's what struck me as well, Bob. I had not seen them live either. And the fact that the whole crowd, including, again, my wife, who I didn't know was such a fan, knew the words to every song, but they're such sing-alongable tunes that it makes it easy. Yeah, they really are. And, um, you know, and, and I have, my big problem is I don't know the names of the songs. And the only reason I say that is because... I don't know the names of any songs anymore because <laughs> since, we, since we started streaming, see, when I was young, a much younger man, and you had a, a record or vinyl and you had the album cover, or even when you got a CD, you you know, as as I'd be listening to something for the first time, I would be looking at the CD and, and identifying the name of the song and listening to it, and I connected to and now it's like you just put something on and then you're doing other stuff and you're listening to it, but you're not, I'm not honed in on what the names of the songs are. So some of the hits it, I know, but, you know, if you were to ask me to name like five or six songs off of the albums, I'd be, I'd be struggling for the names. Hey, Bobby, I don't know if you know, do you know what Friday is? Uh, the day before the Saturday, day after Thursday. This coming Friday is National Margarita Day. Yeah, you know, I have a problem with that. <laughs> it's, um, it's in the, um, it's, it's in the winter here. Like it's, I, I, I can't drink margaritas in the winter. That's yeah. my summer. Yeah, you make a good point. Yeah. Yeah, that is weird. But apparently today, according to Matt Cause, our resident, uh, sommelier here at TSN, Today is National Wine Drinking Day, so you can get behind that, Bob, for sure. I could absolutely get behind yeah. that, and uh, I had a lovely bottle of red on Saturday night. <laughs> my son, Sean, and uh, so there you go. So we celebrated early on National Wine Drinking Day. <laughs> I don't drink wine on Monday if I can help it. <laughs> well, maybe after mo- this Monday, because you're going to be very busy this Monday. Yeah, so you've got to stay... I've, I've got to make sure I don't... Uh, I don't imbibe too much because you never know. I might get called in to the office at the to the studio at the last minute, so I've got to be able to drive in. So what's the week leading up to Trade Center like for you? Are you working the phones? Are you sending text after text? Tell us I'm, I'm mostly letting Gregor and LeBron do most of the work. <laughs> That's I'm delegation. A, I'm a 62-year-old man, and i'm much i'm very on in my career so i chip in and i help out but you know i think the young guys should do all the heavy lifting but is it does is there a sense like you must feel good because you created this whole insider thing and now you're you're i didn't create it well (laughs) you perfected it you mastered it no i wouldn't say that i wouldn't say that come on let's not be modest here no (laughs) seriously it's um you know the well i'm trying to think but peter gammon's it's funny. The thing I found out was when I read, I don't know, did you ever read that really like huge book? It's like the size of War and Peace or the Bible uh, on, on the history of ESPN, like from yes, day one. The, right James, the James Andrew Miller uh, book. Those guys yeah. have all the fun or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, it was really, really good. But what I discovered and I didn't realize was that Peter Gammons started doing work. He was working for the Boston Globe and baseball writer at the Boston Globe. And he started doing work for, I think, ESPN. I want to say it was like 1987 or thereabouts. And that's around 86 or 87 when he started. And that was right around the same time I just started to do a little bit of stuff for TSM when I was at the Hockey News. So I I didn't realize. I, I just assumed he'd been there forever or whatever. And, and it was roughly around the same time that... Um, you know, he started doing big crossover work, and I guess I, but my my trajectory was much slower than his. I disagree. <laughs> I'll respectfully disagree. I have a question I've always wanted to ask, so I'll ask it now. During your storied career, because of your contacts, because of your your knowledge, have you ever had serious discussions about going to work for an NHL team? Uh, no, not really. The, the The one funny story was was Pat Burns when he was between jobs 
And so we, we did the, the, the Leaf games, and Dave Hodge was the host, and I was on the panel with him. I'm trying to remember who else. But in, in any case, so Pat Burns, between jobs, joined us on, on the, the panel. And, uh, and he, when he got hired by the Boston Bruins, he told me he was getting hired by the Boston Bruins, and he said, would you want to come and be my assistant coach? Wow. And I go, I couldn't be your assistant coach. And he goes, sure you could. He says, my assistant coach, he just, it's basically somebody to drink with after the game. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, I could do that. <laughs> but uh, I think he was mostly in jest, but whatever. Anyways, that, but yeah, I get that question a lot. Why don't you be a GM? And, and uh, in fact, on one of my recent podcasts, somebody's said I should be the next GM of the Edmonton Oilers and I basically said no I'm not qualified for it it's easy to it's easy to be in a shadow cabinet and criticize everything and never have to take accountability for it but it's quite another thing you got to put the time and effort and all that kind of stuff into it and if I had wanted to go into management which you know various times you think about it and and maybe now I, I look at it and say oh, oh boy it'd be cool to run a team um if I if I had ever had real legitimate designs on doing that, 10, 12, 15 years ago, I would have got out of the media business and started focusing and working my way up through the, the hierarchy to, to, to try and affect that. But now, I mean, I want my summers off. And, and, <laughs> and, and quite frankly, the job of general manager, it's probably never been a worse job to have challenging the number of salary cap and everything else, but I see the pressure these guys are under, and uh, it's uh, no thank you. And uh, can I ask you an actual trade question? Matt Duchesne, this, you've been talking about this for, for weeks, Bob. Yep. It, it was looking good. It seemed like it was looking good. There was dialogue between Duchesne's agent, Pat Brisson, and Pierre Dorian, and then all of a sudden over the weekend, it seems now that's kind of stopped, and, and it looks like he's going to be dealt and I feel like as a, if you were a Sens fan that's got to be so disheartening because it seemed like he wanted to be there. It is and it'll get probably more disheartening if we start talking about Mark Stone in the same vein and that's something that'll probably come up in the, the next day or two or three. We'll see which way that goes but I mean you're, you're right for the longest time it was all dialogue you know, all the dialogue in Ottawa that we heard about was Matt Duchesne talking to the Senators. There was nothing on Mark Stone. Um, now, I will say that for the better part of the last couple of weeks, I've been, I have been—I had been saying, even before sort of the news of the last four or five days, that they're, they're now talking trade with, with everybody on Matt Duchesne. I, I had said, in, on both guys, actually, I think it's much more likely for them to be traded and then signed. And I got the sense on the Duchesne negotiations that everything was being slow played. And that was, that was fine with the club and that was fine with Duchesne. And it was almost like we, neither one of us wants to bring this to the, the pinnacle here and say, so in or out, you know, signing or trading. And, and instead it's, Sort of like the, the, they just went to this soft middle ground of, of well, we're, you know, the dialogue's going. But, you know, and now, even now, you know, they're going to trade them. Um, but, you know, they've allowed themselves the opportunity because nobody publicly declared it's over. Um, it, it allows them if they want, and they got a trade in their back pocket. They could go back to Duchesne one more time and say, well, we, you know, you know the offer we gave you. You know, eight years, however many, sixty-four million plus, or whatever it was, uh, you want it or, or not? Because if not, we're going to trade you, and, and that's when somebody will say. But it doesn't play out in public, and uh, so I don't know. It's uh, it's tough for Ottawa Senators fans. There's no doubt about it. And it'll be really tough if if they trade Duchesne and they trade Stone and maybe even they trade Dzingel, and then you got to kind of weigh what they get back in return for those guys. And say, you know, okay, what's what's the prognosis for yeah. this franchise now? That's what tough. is what is a, a bright spot for a Sens fan? Because in Edmonton, it's dire there, but you've got Connor McDavid. You, you can pay money to see one of the best hockey players in the world. Ottawa, you get rid of those guys. What are you paying to see? 
Well, Thomas Shabbat is going to be a great young player. You know, and this is the sad part is is that whether it's Duchesne or Stone or Dezingle or whatever the case may be, I'm sure there is part of them that looks around and says, you know what, Brady Kachuk, he's fun. He's, he's a visceral hockey player. He's, he's going to be really good. And Thomas Shabbat is already really good. He might win Norris trophies. Um, you know, Drake Batherson is a real good prospect. Colin White's a, a solid prospect. Uh, you know, Alex Formanton's not a frontline guy, but he'll be there in the next year or two or three. And, and so much speed. And you know, they've got some. They've they've got some a, a nucleus of young kids that are really coming. And if if they had been, if they are, you know, I got to watch all my tenses because <laughs> who knows what will happen here. But let's assume for a moment that that they they found a way to re-sign Duchesne. Stone into Zingle, um, along with that core of younger guys that we talked about, and 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 more on the way. And you know, it's it's not terrible. I mean, you know, you you might envision that you know two three years from now it'd be a pretty good it might be a pretty good hockey team. But I mean, the reality is that uh, as I've been saying for a while, it's it's a lot more likely that they'll be traded than signed. Although we got to wait for the official word on that on the stone front, because as I say, I've been saying on on all our TSN platforms for the past week, the Sens came really hard at at Stone last week, and and I think with a real good faith um, effort to to try and get him signed. And I don't know what I I can't sit here and tell you that it's going to bear fruit and that he's going to resign, but you got to allow for the, the possibility that, you know, maybe it'll get some traction and maybe there'll be more talks. But right now they've been playing games every other day, and I think they just want to get to this double-off day between tonight's game against Chicago and Thursday's game against New Jersey, and we'll have a clearer picture then where Stone's at. But, I mean, it's uh, Eugene's plan of we're going to rebuild for two more years and we're going to spend the cap for five straight years, um, you know, the rebuild's going to be a lot longer than two years, mm. in my opinion, if if Stone and Duchesne and Dezingle are all gone. I know you despise predictions. You refuse to make them. Yep. Um, is, is it possible Mitch Marner might actually get an offer sheet this summer? I, it, it seems like everyone talks about offer sheets, Bob. And but then it's like, well, what's the well? It's like Dustin Penner, you know what I mean? Like it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like they don't really happen. But could You're it right. actually don't. happen? They, they don't. And we've talked more about it this year. And there's there's two reasons for that. And and one is is a is a is sort of a fraudulent reason to talk about it, and the other is a legitimate reason to talk about it. The fraudulent reason to talk about it is because it's the Toronto Maple Leafs who have so many restricted free agents. And even though Patrick Laine and Kyle Connor in Winnipeg are restricted free agents in Braden Point in Tampa Bay or Miko Rantanen in Colorado or Matthew Kachuk in Calgary, um, that there's multiple, multiple restricted free agents who who could be offer sheet targets. They never get talked about. And, and the reason, because they don't play for the Toronto Maple Leafs and the media here, the media and fans and, and everybody else tend to obsess about all things Maple Leafs. And so, and, you know, so that, you know, Austin Matthews is going to get off sheet. Well, no, he's not because he signed. Um, now, the, the legitimate reason why we talk about offer sheets, because I can tell you this with absolute certainty. There are general managers and, and people who belong to management teams of NHL clubs and between myself and Darren Dreger and Pierre Lebrun and all of our guys who, who, who know this business inside out and talk to people on a regular basis, we know that there are general managers who have gone to their owners and said, we need to do offer sheets this summer. We need to get the green light on doing an offer sheet. And we know that there are general managers who are told by their owners, you know what? Yeah, absolutely. Use whatever tool you've got in the toolbox. We're up for it. And and I don't know why that's necessarily changed other than there is such a good crop of, of young talent out there. Um, so I don't know. And and I used the analogy a while ago and when I went to Ryerson a long, long time ago, um, there was a, a journalism professor by the name of Monroe Buck Johnson. And he was sort of your really old school newspaper guy. 
and I was working at the Ryersonian, and and we were putting together stories for the the, the daily paper there at Ryerson, and somebody had a story about somebody else threatening to sue somebody, threatening a lawsuit against somebody. And it was our main story. We were going to do a big headline on the front page about it. And so good old Buck, um, who's, who's long since departed this earth, he looked at the story and he looked at all of us and he said, this is a really interesting story. It'll be a news story when the person who's threatening a lawsuit actually files the lawsuit and it could be said that the same thing is true of offer sheets so it'll be a news story when one of those general managers or owners that we're aware of that has been talking up the offer sheet game here during the season when they actually file one and and then it'll be interesting to see who it is and i mean even we've even had we've had other executives tell us it's not Mitch Marner who's getting the offer sheet. It's probably going to be Kasperi Kapanen who gets right. the offer sheet. Right. Because anything over $4 million, just slightly over $4 million, is just a second-round pick. And, and you know, so there's teams that think the Leafs could be in big trouble um, on, on, on one of those lower-level deals that's not Mitch Marner. Anyways, long story short. I, I guess I should go back to Buck Johnson's advice and just say, <laughs> and just say, it, it come. Well, it's a news story when it actually happens, not when someone threatens to do it. And they're not even threatening to do it publicly because they can't. Um, you know, they're just. But but uh, there's no question in my mind, the overall tone of of management philosophy amongst many of the teams in the National Hockey League with regards to offer sheets. The tone most certainly seems to have changed over the last number of months. So we won't have Berkey trying to fight Kevin Lowe in a barn. <laughs> that was bizarre. <laughs> Maybe we will. That'll be good. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That would be entertaining. Bob, we appreciate it. We can't wait to work with you Monday and um, eat all your guys' catering. Yeah, I look forward to it. It should be good. Um, my, my, yeah, it'll be fun. Another one. This will be, I, I think this is my penultimate trade deadline so i'm looking forward to it whoa whoa what what really yeah probably i'm you know i'm getting near the end of the road for doing the full-time grind so kind of back it off at some point so maybe uh you know a couple more we're done what that can't be true oh it can be true (laughs) (laughs) we'll talk you out of it bob this is awesome thanks for joining us my friend anytime boys it's bob mckenzie bob mckenzie thank you and um yeah. That was breaking news. Penultimate Trade Center, Bob McKenzie. We broke a lot of news. Uh, well, Bob did. We did nothing. <laughs> uh, offer sheets, a thing. Penultimate Trade Center. Uh, I Dan want a coffee. Want a coffee and roll up the rim. Roll yours. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's the Jeff? Can we do the Jeff Gordon thing really quick before we, we go? Jeff Gordon. Was this... What's the backstory on this? He this was I think this during was a during, caution? Uh, during a caution during yesterday's race. Okay. Uh, this is Jeff Gordon. Well, yeah, Eric's in seventh spot, is that right? Yes. Yes. They haven't scored. Yes. Yes. So that's a drop now. Yes. <laughs> What'd you get over there? Please play again. I had I went two straight to start and I've been on a bit of a dry spell. Yes. <laughs> uh, thanks for joining us. This um, is really fun, man. That was really great talking to Bob and Jeremy. Like back to back, incredible interviews. Don't I, yes. You know what I realize? We have to work Sunday night and then come in for Monday morning. I'm yes. Coming, I'm coming back from Montreal on Sunday. Ooh. What have I done to myself? Oh. Yes. Man. You are going to be in a horrible shape. I can't wait. Ugh. But you get. You get to go to some great places. You are dialed in for the, in that city this weekend. Uh, sure, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, have a great week. Bye-bye. They're going home.
This is the Jay and Dan Podcast. 